All right, welcome to another episode here of the Stoke Agent Podcast. I'm with a pretty cool guest here. I know they say they're all cool, but this guy's especially cool. His name is Chris Stewart. He's got an incredible resume uh, in within our real estate industry, and that's partly how we're connected. And uh, just want to say, hey, man, thanks for coming on the pod. And uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you, kind of like where you came from? We were talking off air here about Lake Tahoe and getting dumped on with snow and all that, but. Why don't you take us maybe back to grade school or wherever you want to go and bring us up to speed? Yeah, yeah, you bet. And thanks for the opportunity to be with you. And, um, and yeah, so uh, my my journey uh, started, actually, I grew up in Dallas, born and raised there, uh, went to school at Texas A&M and uh, graduated. When I graduated, actually, um, I have a biochemistry degree, which is which is crazy. And we could talk about more, uh, you know, if, if you want, but but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just enjoyed science academically and so stuck with it uh, and got recruited by a technology company that was headquartered in New York City. And uh, really, the only thing that attracted me to that company was the fact that I got to move to New York City because I'd never been before uh, my interview. And they were, you know, they basically came on campus and did a big, uh, you know, recruiting deal as part of the career fair and uh, things like that at A&M. And so um, that was cool because that was the mid 90s. Uh, the internet was sort of coming of age. Uh, all the big companies and, and aspiring uh, future startups were you know, leveraging the internet in the mid-90s, and I was kind of at the epicenter of it, working right downtown, uh, a few blocks off of Wall Street. And um, you know, looking back, you know, what an opportunity. I ended up transferring with that firm out to their Silicon Valley location, and uh, a couple of years later, ended up working at Oracle. Uh, corporation, which is now one of the largest, you know, software organizations in the world. Back then it was pretty big too, but you know, not, not nearly as big as it is now. And, you know, just got to work with uh, some of the biggest companies in the world. This was now the late nineties, all the way through the dot-com boom and bust into the early two thousands. Saw Y2K right front row seat of Y2K right in Silicon Valley. So it was just a, a really interesting time and just, just such a blessing to have started my career uh, in those, uh, you know, you know, basically, it, it, you know, in those in those conference rooms per se. I mean, it was just a really really cool experience. And then got an opportunity and a little bit of an entrepreneurial fire burning uh, to join forces with some guys to start a mortgage company. And so we did that, uh, bootstrapped it. You know, uh, started just basically four guys, a little office suite. Our second full year in business, we did $6 billion in origination and then uh, that or sold that organization and took an opportunity to join uh, another buddy who had just recently started a real estate brokerage. And all this, by the way, was in Northern California um, between Silicon Valley and, and Sacramento areas. Uh, so joined uh, a buddy who had just started a real estate brokerage and um, basically out of the ashes of the Great Recession... Uh, a team of us built that organization up to the seventh largest real estate brokerage in the United States, which caught the attention of Berkshire Hathaway. They bought the company uh, primarily to get the leadership of our founder and uh, my mentor and still a great, great friend of mine, Gino Blafari, which is really one of the most decorated execs in the industry, real estate industry uh, to this day. They wanted Gino's you know, leadership. So Gino and I uh, left the brokerage, which is called Intero Real Estate Services, and joined the Berkshire Hathaway uh, leadership team to to basically build their real estate franchise group. 
And so wore a number of different hats, um, ultimately the CEO uh, hat for the franchise, global franchise group, and also some other um, other responsibilities th- throughout the enterprise. And did that until 2021 uh, when I decided to leave Berkshire Hathaway and, and hook up with, um, who has become a great buddy of mine, Ben Kinney, um, with an organization that that he had uh, launched called Place. Uh, in, in 2020, he launched Place, and I joined in June of 21, and I've been doing that uh, ever since as the president uh, of the organization. Wow, man. Like I said, you heard it, guys. That's quite a resume. What a what a uh, what a journey bouncing across the country and going in, you know, starting at the bio. Do you think? Um, do you just kind of have this adventurous spirit? Like you just sound so fearless, man. You you sound so centered. You almost sound fearless. So I think a lot of people, you know, would look at you and go, "Man, that's just the path." Like you know, but maybe talk about, you know, the was there some courage through there? Was there some fears that you had of like? You, I wanted to go to New York City. That was exciting. Uh, was there like going from Dallas? Did you just always have that adventurous spirit? And talk to me about that. Yeah, you know, my my two uh, biggest influences are my mother and my grandfather. And my mother was a single mom. Had me at sixteen. I never met my father, and um, you know, just a lot of uh, a lot of. You know, positive examples and support and influence from my mother and her journey, providing for us, and you know, just all that came with that, and and all those experiences, which is a, a whole nother set of stories that have influenced who I am and maybe where the courage comes from and the ad- adventure, uh, sort of this adventure, uh, adventureness or adventuresome spirit or whatever the the adventure qualifier is there. Um, and then my grandfather grew up in the Great Depression. Uh, put himself through school, um, was a war veteran in, in both of the big wars, um, uh, well, the Korean War and then the World War II. And, and uh, in fact, he was the best man at my wedding. I said I never met my father. So when I became 18, I actually changed my legal last name to my grandfather, my mom's dad, my, my grandfather's last name. So that's where Stuart comes from. Um, so you know, I just, I, I think I just borrowed a lot from from those two influences and yeah, I just, I, I've always, here's the, here's the one thing that I've always really uh, focused on throughout my career has served me very well and has allowed me to take my, myself and my own fear and reservations out of a lot of my decision-making, which is to serve other people, to serve the people around me. So every single opportunity I've taken, I've taken in the spirit of, who am I going to be surrounded and can I serve them? Can I make them look better? Because I've, I've always just been programmed that, you know, everything's going to come to me in abundance when I take care of other people. So I, I've really been programmed with this spirit of contribution. Um, and, and in that regard, I just don't really evaluate things on a, on a personal basis, like personal risk or, or personal anxiousness or, things like that that may that the way maybe other people would because I just know that I I know that if I contribute what I can contribute to other people and therefore the organization that things tend to just work out okay so then really the the re, the requisite is 
you know, am I, am I getting into business with the right people? And so far, fortunately, mm-hmm. um, I have, you know, and, and really, really I've only had, uh, th- you know, three roles out, outside of the first couple of jobs I had out of college. I mean, Oracle was kind of like a training ground, you know what I mean? Like I was there just to learn and, and, and kind of get my, my legs professionally. Uh, but otherwise it's been one entrepreneurial sort of venture after the next. And I've been surrounded by great people, fortunately. And you have such a unique perspective. So when you approach, so obviously when you, you're in order, you're in Oracle, you're in Silicon Valley, there's all of this disruption and everybody's got a new project and, you know, it looks like you landed in some pretty good spots. And do you think that that has a lot to do with your understanding around who to align with? I mean, you mentioned that you mentioned aligning with good people so maybe we could dig a little bit more into that. Yes, completely. You know, um, the first job I had, you know, the one in New York city, it was just wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, in fact, many of them I'm still great friends with today, both the people that I went into, uh, you know, that, that, that role, the people that I went into that role alongside of my peers, two of them were in my wedding, probably at least a dozen of them. I'm still connected to on a every other week basis, you know? So, I mean, lifelong friends, um, the role at Oracle actually opened up because we were an integration partner and I was connected with some of the Oracle people trying to add value to them, sharing contact information with potential customers, sharing information about uh, engineer hires that, that could be helpful to Oracle. So it was kind of that spirit of service and contribution that, that even opened the door at Oracle. I didn't even know I could have, you know, a role like that. Uh, uh, and, and so, um, yeah, it, pretty much everything has been a function of me finding people that are similarly oriented, which is they're looking to contribute to others too. Um, so you, 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 you know, you kind of find what you're looking for in that regard. And, um, so yeah, aligning with people that are similarly, um, oriented, I think has been a key to success. And do you think, so you're, you seem very selfless, you know, uh, we talk about, you know, being the servant leader and that, that kind of thing. We were actually talking earlier here about Bob Berg and the go-giver and, um, and it also doesn't sound, I mean, everybody likes money and so forth. Do you, I mean, it really sounds like you've operated with, Hey, you like adventure. You like, you definitely like the Oracle. Hey, you've got your feet under you in that tech space and understand the progressive nature of, of business within that, within that paradigm. Do you, um, how, how do you how do you look at like a, how did you end up in a mortgage company? I guess was it just the people, and then you're like, oh, I I kind of interested in that. How did where was that shift from from tech into mortgage, but then a startup within mortgage? Like, is that just yeah. the people, and you believed and you saw what they were about? It was just the people. There was another guy that I worked with at Oracle, uh, a buddy a buddy of mine, Hayes, and he had two great friends that he went to college with and they, they went into mortgage right out of college and he went into tech. They, they went to university of Missouri. Mm-hmm. So he came out West kind of like I came out West. We ended up at Oracle together, became great friends. He said, Hey, my two buddies from, from school have been doing this mortgage thing in the Midwest and East coast. 
here's kind of how the model works. If we did this out in California, because the loan amounts are two to three times uh, the markets that they're in, they were in St. Louis and Detroit and, and other markets like that in the Midwest and East Coast. He said, look, if we take this business model out here to the to the West Coast where the loan amounts are two to three X, man, we could print money. And I said, okay, sounds good to me. You know, I was kind of done with the the meat grinder at Oracle. You know, it's funny. I was at Oracle for, um, I don't know, six or seven years, something like that. And I went through a new head of sales every single year. Every single year, the territories got changed, the compensation got changed, the leadership got changed, the mandates got changed. It's like, man, on one hand, it was fun because those of us that survived all of those reductions and the dot-com boom and bust, the Y2K boom and bust, those of us that remained, we were we had kind of the pick of the litter in terms of opportunity, but it was a meat grinder. And I'm thinking, I, I would love to start something, you know, and, and sort of I was in the I was in the like cradle of entrepreneurial uh, ism, you know, like I was in the cradle of startups. I'm thinking, man, mm. how could I not start something? I didn't know what the heck to start. I was an engineer, um, didn't even really know about raising money. So I sort of needed this this, uh, you know, this idea uh, and this business plan that, you know, could, I could sort of fit into. And, and that's the, the neat thing about mortgages. You could just be a team of sales people per se, um, and get into that business as a broker. You didn't, you didn't need to really have any, any other operations, technical engineering, uh, banking chops. You just, you could be a broker and, and leverage sales and marketing as your background to get into it. And so that, that's what we did. We, we knew how to make the phone ring and create opportunities and then just built a, a really cool company out of the out of the ground from that. Cool. But looking I want to back up a little bit because yeah, I, I wish I would have stayed in tech, honestly. I, I should have stayed in tech and and stayed at Oracle and and done a tech deal. I mean, that would have been the probably the smartest thing to do given all the investments in my time and relationships and 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 sort of business acumen and and exposure. Um so I don't know if it was the right move, but it, it was a fun move and it's cer it certainly become an important stepping stone to everything else I did since then. Yeah. That's interesting that you would look back on that. I, I, I want to, well, let's put a pin in that, but I want to yeah. circle back around to your grandfather actually, because it really resonated with me. What I heard with like the meat grinder and I hear you changing and doing these different things, but sticking around, not but not bouncing from one spot to the next to find the magical pill that solves all. You know, you're really kind of ser serving, finding good people, starting things up, bouncing around, not afraid to do that, but also staying, bouncing from different industries. And that's interesting. You go think about going back to tech there, but I want to kind of go back to your grandfather. Do you? Because I was raised, you know, I, I see the gray hair on you, so I got a few on me too. Um, you know, you know that that greatest generation, right? That was the greatest generation, yeah. as Tom Brokaw put it. Uh, great, great book, right? Um, and I was somewhat raised by him as well. Uh, you know, taught me how to play the game of golf and so forth. Just hardworking. Uh, his, you know, nickname was Roughneck. Worked on the shipyards and all that. Um, do you think that a lot of your? So you talked about your mom, and we could unpack that a little bit later, maybe. But do you think that a lot of that resiliency? in you came from that greatest generation of you put your head down, you take care of your family, you know, there's, it wasn't about glam and that World War II was not 
a glamour not no, no war is glamorous but you know what i mean like that was that was real peril the world world at peril kind of thing not that we are right now but that's another story but talk to me about your granddad and that and do you think that resiliency and you're at oracle and it's the meat grinder and this person's getting tossed and this is getting changed and this is all that do you think that resiliency is comes from him to a certain degree yeah 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. him him and my mom but but a hundred percent him and you know, just how tight we were, spent a lot of time together, young, um, my spring breaks in college. So basically he retired early. He only ever had one job, basically put himself through A&M on the GI Bill, was an electrical engineer, went to work at the utility company in Dallas, was there 35 years, retired early and went back to his little tiny East Texas town where he grew up as a tenant cotton farmer, which basically means he and his family occupied a tiny little corner of a big, huge plant, cotton plantation, and they picked cotton. They were the laborers on the cotton farm, which meant that he and his sisters, um, or he and his siblings, didn't start school until after the, the cotton crop uh, harvest each year, which was basically October, November timeframe. So they actually started school every year with two or three months behind them relative to their classmates. So puts himself through school, GI Bill, retires early, goes back. And I spent my spring breaks in college with him on his farm, just working and, and doing the things that, you know, we love to do. And I wasn't in Cabo and Cancun and all that stuff, never even considered it, you know, um, but he was just a, just a good man. And, and, uh, my mom, just the same, she worked two jobs, my whole, until my sister came, uh, through, you know, high school, my mom worked two jobs. So that to me, the work ethic and giving back and and serving others was just never even a question. Never is something I didn't even have to you know think about. It was just like a part of my DNA from very early on. Yeah, I love that man. I, I, I wanted to dive into that because it, it really I, I think people see where people are and they don't always know where they really really came from. And those those two figures. Have have obviously just had these ripples throughout your life, and they you still continue to make ripples from them, right? Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, man. Um, where do you think? Um, so kind of the word I think the word balance. I, I always like to ask great leaders like yourself how and and that really is temperance. Like temperance is giving up one thing for another thing, giving up Cabo to go and be with my grandfather to help him in the field, right? And that, I mean, that it just, that exemplifies a, a lot of who you are at the core. What do you think, if you could share with the audience, if in part something of the importance of temperance and, and understanding the things to give up, maybe to have something else? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think... You know, may, maybe something that's important in this topic is we got to know whose dreams we're chasing. And I feel like a lot of times we're chasing other people's dreams by virtue of, you know, who are we following on social media and, and, and you know, like the influencers on our lives and our ambition and how we're programming ourselves, like who, whose dreams are you chasing, you know, and, and are, are they yours? And if they're yours, mm. are you really challenging the priorities? Like, 
my my priority my whole career has been first my family and many times it was my family at the cost of my fitness so now i say that my priority is my faith and my fitness because i can be a better me for my family and mm-hmm. then it is my finances and then it is my friends and so if you have that sort of prioritization and this clarity that no 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 this is in fact what's important to me so mm. could, could i have done so many other things that have yielded so much more net worth or different outcomes of course 100% but 23 years married three wonderful kids that are wonderful representations of our family and wear our name on their jersey very uh, proudly um, and the things that they're doing, that was everything. So, you know, the, you know, that's why I feel like we don't, I don't feel like we're critical enough of the challenges that are born inside of ourselves. Like we're always looking for different challenges to go tackle, like the challenges inside of yourself, you know, the ability to sit in a room by yourself and not need external influence and stimulation. And like these things are, are powerful, you know, pow- it's powerful to, to be able to do things, but have the self-control not to do them. You know, whether that's your, your finances or relationships or your fitness or your eating, you know, it's powerful to have self-control, but what are you controlling? which is a function of what is your prioritization and who dreams are you chasing? You know, and I think people just, a lot of people are just kind of wandering along this path because they feel like this is the path to happiness and um, they're not even challenging it. They're not even challenging. Like, what do I need to get better at right here? Like what, what, you know, what challenges inside of myself can I, can I overcome? Man. That was hyper well articulated. I usually get kind of a different response um, about time, but you really, you articulated it with, you know, starting first with family, then going to fitness because you need to take, you know, your family first, no matter what, then the fitness, which takes care of you to take care of them, then the finance that takes care of you, that takes care of them, then friends at the end. That's... You know, you really gave the framework there. And then ultimately, you know, what is your dream not to be chasing someone else on the screen's dream to the yacht, the whatever, and, you know, that stuff, man, that that, that was fantastic. And I think the last bit. Here's the other thing I want to add, too, is like, mm-hmm. I see so many people chasing this personal development, chasing these sources of motivation. And. We're chasing it to build ourselves, and I like that. Mm. However, mm-hmm. if you're building additional levels of your, you know, your self-development, additional floors of your building called self-development on a foundation that's built on a house of cards, it just yeah. doesn't work. In other words, do you do you have a budget 
are are you are you in tune with your 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 fitness? You know, are you managing your your savings properly? Like there there's so many foundational things that if they're not in place, you're going to keep chasing these quotes and these motivations and these inspirational, you know, talks and content and Tony Robbins and it's all great stuff, but you got to get yeah. the basics right and you got to go back to the basics very regularly. And you're only going to do that with kind of a humble, self-reflected kind of an approach. It's like, no, no, you know what? My house isn't in order. You got to get your house in order and keep your house in order. And I see so many people, I go into their offices and it's disheveled and their car is a mess and you can just see, but, but what are we talking about? Oh, what's the latest quote and latest book and that we're going to this event or this hearing this speaker. And you just want to tell them, look it. None of that stuff is going to matter unless your foundation and your basics are in order. Like get your house in order and keep it in order. Fantastic, man. And I mean, that's part of the reason I won't mention it here, but it's on your chest there. So I'm going to say it. It's part of the reason I joined place. And, you know, just to have the humility to say there's a lot of things that I'd figured out and there was things that I hadn't and I wanted to be around people like you that really you know, everything that you've achieved and done and go, that's a great leader that I can go, hey, I, I've done a lot of stuff. I've mildly kept my my finances in order, but I I'm just, it's not something I grew up with and I didn't go to Wall Street. I didn't do, I didn't go to Wharton Business School. I'm just out there grinding, putting things together and slapping it together, bootstrapping stuff, you know? So yeah. I don't want to go too far down that, but I do like what you said. Uh, I mean, that's a foundation. And again, I, I, I circle back around. This is the Stoication podcast is like courage, temperance, wisdom, and justice. So to have those as cornerstones is those are not a house of cards to lay a, 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 the, to lay the framework of operating in life. Is this just? Am I doing the right thing even when no one's watching? Am I being courageous moving through fear that is inside? Yeah. Right? Am I working on my wisdom as my grandfather would say, you're smart if you learn from your own mistakes, you're wise if you learn from others. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you know, and then that temperance of the temperance, like you said, like the balance of the things that are important and really, you know, so... I don't mean to bring that back around, but again, that's why it really resonates with me. And then I hear people like you that I look up to and go, man, I'm on the right path, you know, and, and just keep with this framework of thinking. I, I have a quote. Have you heard, are you familiar with Michael Singer? Yeah. Yeah. So I got these, I mean, you just said this right here, and I think it's beautifully articulated what he said here. You know, he wrote The Untethered Soul, and uh, you think the solution to your inner problems is in the world outside. Like, we're looking for those things outside, you know, but nobody has ever truly become okay by changing things outside. There's always the next problem. I, I just love that, you know, it's like, it is an inside job, and you're right, to chase the quotes and all that, but to not go, hey, just clean up your closet, like, or clean up your car for the, just Start there, you know, rather than putting the stuff on Facebook of the great quotes that you, you know, Instagrammed from somebody else, you know? Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love yeah. that book, The Untethered well, Soul. Let's finish. Yeah, I wanna, I'm going to reread it just because we we're talking about it. 
Yeah, he's uh, just came out with the Untethered Life. I've been really kind of digging back into him with a, his. He's got a great podcast. I listen to it in the morning and just kind of sets me. Yeah, you know, I I go bounce around to different ones, but we digress. Yeah, no, he's he's wonderful. Um, let's I guess kind of kind of end on here on, and I guess this kind of dovetails well into our next or what I what I brought up there about wisdom, and I do think that 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 wisdom is to learn from others. I, I think, I mean, you know, we can, we can put our hand on the stove, right. And get burned and go and not do it again. Like, Oh, that's smart not to touch the stove again. Right. But you could be observant and aware and watch someone else touch the stove and then the effect and go, Oh, I don't even have to touch the stove. So talk to me a little bit. About, like maybe you can talk about your grandfather, your mom, your the Oracle, whatever, where, what do you think wisdom is? And, where maybe have you know some poignant things that you've learned in life that you could share with the audience? Yeah, I think that it's um, first of all humility. You know, once you think you know it all, your slide to mediocrity has already begun. Oh, and is that your quote? Did you do get that? <laughs> That's awesome. That from my mentor Gino Blafari, and and that was either. Okay. Uh, Ogmandino, uh, or okay. which was one of his mentors, um, uh, or perhaps his father. Uh, it could have been his father, um, but um, is basically once you think you know your slide to mediocrity is yeah you you know once you think you know it all your slide to mediocrity has already begun. Thank you. And so I. I typically equate wisdom to humility um, mm. because it's the application of things that we know that is that is really the differentiator. It's the application of the knowledge because so many people, oh, I knew that. Well, why didn't you do it? I don't know. I know I should should do these things. Well, why aren't you doing them? So it's it's almost like, well... I've got to be humble enough to recognize what I don't know, be eager enough to learn it, um, and be, you know, wise enough to, you know, to to actually implement the things that I know to do or or should be doing, uh, or have the instinct to do. And so I, I think a lot of it comes from humility. And you know, I've always believed that the lack of humility is a function of I don't want to admit what I don't know, or I don't want to share in the credit of an achievement with someone that I've asked to help me. And I think both of those things are very, um, you know, dangerous for your development and for your success and for your alignment with people that, because for the most part, everyone in the world has a spirit of contribution for the most part that. Generally speaking, more, there are more people that are willing to contribute to your journey than those that are not, but you have to ask them and you have to be humble enough to ask them. And again, not be concerned about demonstrating what you might not know and or two, willing to share in the success by virtue of admitting their contribution, which is to say, if I need something from you, I'm not going to hesitate to ask you. And if I, if, if what I learned from you is a win. I'm going to share it from the mountaintops that, that you helped me, you know, that we did this together. And I, I've, 
and both of those things I feel like either come from a too much of a spirit of arrogance or too little a spirit of humility. Mm. Super well articulated, man. I guess we'll do a bonus question here. Um, and it might go, this could go very long. It goes into our Friday meeting there with Chris. Um, do you think that the antithesis of humility is ego? Yeah, I definitely think it's a, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big contributor, you know, is, is ego. Yeah. I, I suppose that I, to the, to the lack of. Yeah. I mean, there, there's probably some other things that like, I think a lot of us are socially wired a certain way too, you know, like narcissism I think is the root of a lot of problems for people. And, um, narcissism to me is a, you know, it's, it's not necessarily equivalent to ego. Um, you know, I, th I think that there's some people that may even lack a big ego externally, but still believe that they're the center of the universe and, and no, and no other idea trumps their own. So, um, I think narcissism a lot of times is a key contributor to a lack of humility. Hmm. Ego is such a it's such a wily thing, and I I think that everybody has a different. I mean, I I read a lot on um, you know Eckhart Tolle's got I think done some of the best work on it to articulate like ego. Um, and it just, it has so many different faces. Like, I guess the lack of humility, which were, if you say, hum, hu, you would say humble, the other side of humble would be arrogance, right? I know completely. And humble is, I don't know, right? Whereas you could be confident, but not arrogant. You've, you're confident about what you do know. So, but uh, ego to me lies in there. I ultimately think, man, I don't know, well, we this this is probably more of a whole nother podcast, but um I think that ego is sense of self in a way when yeah. you come from this place of spirit, right? Like which you talk about being in a room alone. Like when you don't know, do you meditate or do yeah. stuff like that? Yeah. Okay. So like the when you see the thoughts, like Okay. So pray is, you know connecting with a higher power and so forth and and you know but i guess med the the root of meditation is kind of the lack of thoughts which is you're talking about the i don't know if it was one of the famous psychologists said the root of all man's problems that he can't sit in a room alone without any stimulation you know That's for a half an hour like that is really like the root of it like you need to be entertained and that is the ego going like i need this i need that it's a cigarettes or it's the television or it's social media or whatever right yeah but like to, to be able to just sit and not be able to be entertained. But then in that space, I always say to people, I say, well, what, what is meditation? I can't, I can't sit. I can't stop thinking. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's the problem is that you, you can't even see, you don't control your own mind and not that everybody can. And that's a, you know, that's a big state to be able to completely control your, your thoughts or at least see them be like, why? Oh, I thought that, but it's not me. It's like what sees the thought 
I think yeah. that's ego. I think the thought is, you know, because our egos can figure out a lot of stuff, you know, balance a checkbook, do a lot of different cool stuff, but it's not always good about how to operate fully. Does that make sense? So I yeah. went around a lot. I mean, yeah. look, you're, you're much more articulate on this subject than I am. So I, I'm, I'm picking up everything you're saying though, for sure. I, and I guess my point was I, there's, humble. I think there's elements of a healthy ego. I, and I think that Success requires elements of a healthy ego. So that's why I don't necessarily put it as the antithesis of humility. I think- Yeah, I like that. The antithesis of humility being, like you said, arrogance or nar- narcissism. I mean, I just see that these yeah. days. Is so many people just think yeah. they are the center of the universe. Like, I, I am it. I, I got the yeah. idea, the content, the opinion, the approach. Like, I am it, you know? And I just think that is like a dangerous place to be. You are so humble. And, you know, I throw stuff out here. I, I mean, I, I I play around with stuff. I am by no means like that is, I love the term you just brought to me, healthy ego. Yeah. Uh, that's great, man. Like it, it, Like, I love that concept that, you know, our mind can be healthy. Yeah. You know, but we are not our mind. I, I guess yeah. that's kind of what I was going driving at there. So thank you for that. That's a that's a profound statement and you're you're so humble, Chris. Well man, I, I feel like we could talk for hours genuinely. Um we are kind of towards the end here and um we have another little thing to shoot here on a on a piece I'm doing with that incredible company that you have on your chest there place. Uh is there anything that you wanted to say in, in uh in kind of uh, closing here for the audience, something they might want to be thinking about, a book that you want to pass on, anything, man. Yeah, I would just encourage everyone to uh, congratulate themselves for for being here at this moment in time, listening to this content. It's obviously a reflection of your desire to get better, to surround yourself with great people and uh, great positive, uplifting thought. And just remember that... Um, you know, your, your house and, and inward is probably the best place to start to the extent that you've got any level of frustration or anxiousness. And, um, this small win concept, I think for me is, is very powerful for people looking for, uh, you know, a slight edge that will generate momentum. And that's the biggest thing I think in success is we have to recognize, I call it the big mo. Big Mo is always working for us or against us. And so really the secret to sustained success is to generate Big Mo at your back. You know, the wind in your sails, that's where you want momentum. And it really can start from just a series of small little adjustments and things that you're committed to um, personally and, and things that are foundational to you to give you that that clarity and that confidence and uh, just applaud everyone for being here because I know that's probably the spirit of what you're, why you're here is looking for that, that momentum and that sustained success. Man, we're just going to drop the mic on that one. That was fantastic. Thank you, Chris.